This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. There are a number of well-known songs going back in our country's history, uh, gospel songs, you might say, and uh, many of them talk about walking. For instance... Uh, we know of a very famous song that says, I walked today where Jesus walked and felt him close to me. I walked today where Jesus walked. Another song is called In the Garden. I come to the garden alone, it says, while the dew is still on the roses. But then it turns around and says, and he talked with me. He walked with me and he talked with me. In other words, there was a togetherness that Jesus had with the one who came to the garden. Then there's another song. It's not necessarily a gospel song, but it's a great song. It says, you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. When you walk through the storm, keep your head up high and so on. Don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart that you'll never walk alone. But most of the people in our world are walking alone. Then there was another song. Back in the 1960s, I became familiar with this song because in Wichita, Kansas, when I was in high school, there was a trio of women who came to the uh, city auditorium, Wichita, Kansas, and gave a concert. And they sang a song that I've never forgotten. And it went like this. You gotta walk this lonesome valley. You gotta walk it by yourself. Oh, nobody else can walk it for you. You gotta walk it by yourself. Well, there's a lot of truth in that, but it's not all truth. You see, you can't make a decision for Christ by somebody else. Only you can make the decision. Oh, you got to ask the Lord's forgiveness. Nobody else could ask him for you. you got to ask it. On the other hand, the Bible is replete with the understanding that, you know what? Those things, those decisions have to be made individually, but there needs to be a togetherness, or as our guest today says, a parallel relationship in the faith. So here's a question. What if people in our world can't find the real Jesus when they've been told where to look? What if they can't find him? He says, we want to talk about recapturing the simplicity of becoming those who walk with others until they discover Jesus. And then after they discover Jesus, to walk with them some more. That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint. And please don't diminish the significance of what we're about to talk talk about, because it's at the very foundation of God's call for our lives, particularly in such a time as this. Our special guest coming to us because of the sincerity of his heart and the message that God gives to people, even in not-so-jolly old England, Dave Bowden is joining us with his book, Parallel Faith, Walking Alongside Others on Their Journey to Christ. Dave, it's good to have you on the program. It's really great to be here. I was waiting for you to mention the song Walking on Sunshine, but you didn't quite get there. No, I didn't get I didn't get that. I, I, I do know about climbing Sunshine Mountain. 
We used to sing oh, that wow. when I was a kid. But, uh, no, you have written a fantastic book here. You really have. I uh, Just looking at the title, uh, I like the outside of walking alongside others on their journey because that's the essence of, of discipleship. But this idea of parallel faith, that sounds like geometry. And, uh, you know, I took geometry in the 10th grade. Uh, I wasn't all that fascinated with it. The whole idea of parallel faith originally, um, it, it was this revelation of this idea that we actually do have to walk alongside other people on their journey to Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I love the song that you mentioned earlier about, you know, walking with him, because I think sometimes in our religious bubbles and in our, all of our activity, we forget that right at the core of our faith is about walking with Jesus, isn't it? You know, and he was the one who first said over 2,000 years ago those incredible three words, Come, follow me. Mm. And actually, all of Christianity comes back to those three words, doesn't it? Well, you know what it reminds me of? I ran twice for the state legislature in California back in 1976 and 78. And, uh, you know, you you need a lot of people to kind of follow you and uh, help you get across the finish line. But what I discovered is there are a lot of people that said, well, you know what? I'm, I'm really following you. Yeah, they were all right. They were following me so far behind, you would never know they were even there. Absolutely. There are a lot of people Uh, like that following Jesus. Way in the distance, you'd never even know they were there. That's a great illustration. And the reality is for so many people in the church today, and I know we love to talk about it in this show, is get to the real issues, is that there are people that are sat in churches and they're, they're not following Jesus. They're following religion. They're following their own heart. They're following the culture. And I think this idea of walking parallel with people is getting back to the idea that we have to actually walk with people and point them to the real thing, point them to Jesus. One of the things that I noticed in your book is you have a love for, uh, what do they call it, when you say things that begin with the same letters, alliteration. That's what it is. Oh, alliteration, I love that. That, You know, I've written uh, 10 books, and I'm writing an 11th right now. And it just happens to be my style. I think that way. And when I picked up your book and I see you say things like, uh, uh, the secret to helping any person encounter Jesus today lies in the potency of our proximity. The potency of our proximity. That is very powerful. Potent and proximity. What do you mean by that? I think it's... It comes back to the gospel, doesn't it? So basically the whole gospel is rooted in this idea that God didn't stay where he was. He sent Jesus. He came to where we are um, in order to transform our lives, in order to help change us. And the power was in the proximity of Jesus coming amongst us. We're celebrating this at Christmas time uh, this year and every year. And I think this idea of being close to people is where the potency and the power really lies because... You know, here's another alliteration for you. Proximity changes our perspective, doesn't it? Well, exactly, and I love that. See, you spoke my language. Proximity changes our perspective. And that's why God the Father, in the fullness of time, which is what we're celebrating in this season, in the fullness of time, he sent forth his only Son, the Word became flesh, was fleshed out and dwelt among us, and 
we saw his glory full of grace and truth. It's beautiful. Proximity. God became uh, proximatized to the court of word here, right here among us. He moved in human flesh among us so that we could see what God was like. Yeah, and then there's this big challenge rude in that for us, isn't there? That if Jesus, God himself, moved out of his comfort zone and went to where people are to meet them where they're at, to bring the light, to bring hope, does this call for us as Christians to go and do the same? Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here, and I'm glad that you've joined us. Friends, our special guest, Dave Bowden, his book, Parallel Faith, will make it available to you in just a few moments. Stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today, indeed, we're discipling for destiny. It's one of the four pillars of this program and always has been for the past 28 and a half years. When a person explores faith alongside us, they're not just making a big decision about God. They're making small decisions about us. Like someone tries to figure out where Jesus is, they're often watching our lives closely, and they're asking questions like this. Do I trust this person? Can I be open with them? What difference does their God make to them? Do I really want what they have? Do they even care about me? Well, those are some elementary questions, but we all kind of live at that elementary stage uh, because The greatest needs that people have are to feel like they belong and to be loved, to be accepted and to be loved. And as someone said, people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And so in order for them to know how much we care, our presence has to be in their proximity. So our guest says proximity changes our perspective. And we're going to find out what he means by that in just a moment. But I want to make his book, Parallel Faith, uh, available to you. This book, I think, will get cast a vision for you and for your life for the coming year. I really do. I, I really believe that this book should be in every pastor's hand, every parachurch leader's hand, every Sunday school teacher's hand, and every father's hand. Parallel Faith walking alongside others on their journey to Christ. $15 is going to put it in your hands, and uh, I don't think you'll be able to do better for $15 than this. Uh, It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, all the way from not-so-jolly old England is Dave Bowden with his wonderful accent 
And uh, Dave, I think your accent brings a little more sense of authority to our subject. What do you think? I, I, th- I think it's almost in the vein of the great C.S. Lewis and others, maybe. There you go. Well, I don't want you to have to brag about it, but uh, it is important. I value that <laughs> accent. I really do. Uh, you guys over there in, in not-so-jolly old England uh, are having some real problems. I understand that uh, many of your churches are being turned into mosques or bars. What say you? Yeah, so the, there's a huge challenge over here in this whole idea of people being able to connect with what church is and what it's all about. Because so often people, m- most of the people who I work with every single day who I'm close with, uh, in the workplace or for the work that I do in schools, they're not thinking about the church as the biggest answer to the challenges they're facing every day. They're not waking up in the morning and thinking, well, Jesus is perhaps the one that I could actually pursue and walk with. Uh, and I think this is because we've become irrelevant. You know, actually, often in the name of pursuing relevance, we've become irrelevant and we've walked away from that core message that Jesus is good news and the good news is that he came to us. He walks with us, and he wants us to walk alongside other people too. And the challenge for the churches right now, the reason they're so empty, being turned into bars and all sorts of things, is because people no longer see it as a core part of uh, able to provide answers for their lives. You mentioned earlier about this idea that people are looking for belonging. Mm-hmm. People are looking for identity. They're looking for purpose. The three biggest questions of everybody, isn't it? Like, sure. who am I? Where do I belong? Uh, and what am I here for? And increasingly, there's a generation out there who are maybe going online, they're looking at social media, they're looking at TikTok and trying to find answers there. They're not walking through the front door of a church building. Well, that's why so many of our young people now are carrying on these uh, uh, agendas like uh, climate change and brandishing uh, uh, the, uh, the beauty of what it means to live in Gaza as a Palestinian, uh, they're, they're picking up these callings. They're, they're thinking that they have a calling to do that because they want to make a difference. And uh, they, they don't have anything else to go on. Yeah, Get, young, young people, they want to have a cause. They want to, have, they want to live for something greater than themselves. I mean, what an incredible opportunity for the church to actually stand up and step out and go to where people are and share this message of, the greatest revolutionary of all time, like the one man, Christ Jesus, who changed everything and still changes everything. But that message isn't getting through because it's almost like, you remember during the the height of the pandemic when everybody was on Zoom, um, and every so often you'd find somebody who was talking so passionately, but then everybody would say those immortal words, you're on mute, you're on mute to them. Do you remember that? (laughs) The immortal words. It's hard to come alongside somebody when you're on Zoom, isn't it? Absolutely. And the challenge, the challenge for people was was that we were kind enough because we had relationship with the person who decided to say, you're talking, but nobody's listening. You're on mute. Mm. But I think the funniest thing you yeah. know, is that we can apply this in the real terms, in very serious terms, to what's going on in the world right now, is that the church is on one side of a, a bubble, and they're saying lots of things and shouting and saying all these words, and they're on mute. Nobody's listening. All right, the question is why. The question is why. Not whether they're listening, but why they're not listening. And uh, that's a harder question. 
because it's a tough, go ahead it's a tough question um and but i think it's because what's happened is that we've we've got so caught up in our own bubble mm. that there's no real relationship with people beyond it often all right but then, then that puts us in a that puts us in a paradoxical situation and that is uh, we're called to be in the world but not of it Yep. So come out and be separated. I will be a father unto you. You should be my sons and daughters. So how do you balance that with what you're saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel? Well, we know that the gospel never changes. The core message um, is it always stays the same. But that because of the culture that we're in, sometimes we have to help translate it. So, you know, those ideas of like, who am I? What am I here for? What am I here to do? We've got to often meet the people where they're at in their communication and their understanding of something. And it's almost like Tim, Pastor Tim Keller used to say, um, he used to say that you have to look at the problems and issues in society and you have to give an answer in Christ. So you have to, so often the church tries to answer questions that people are not asking. Interesting. And, Interesting. You know, and I think we've got to do, we've got to begin to answer the questions that culture's asking. All right, but here's the problem. Them to Jesus. Here's the problem. The church says, okay, uh, in fact, uh, pastors, parachurch leaders, and so-called uh, spiritual gurus uh, are saying, well, yeah, so we've got to be more relevant. That means we've got to speak like the culture. We've got to uh, embrace more of the culture. And uh, so we've got to be more like the culture. So actually, the church is becoming the culture rather than uh, reaching the culture. Yeah, I think that the answer is not to become like the culture, but the answer is to speak into culture. Mm. So we have to think about this idea that culture always makes us promises, doesn't it? Culture's always trying to say that if you buy this product, you will get this result. It's saying if you wear this, you'll find this identity. Live this lifestyle, you'll be free. And it's making us promises all the time. And again, as we share the gospel, we, we actually help people join the dots that we almost hold up culture to them and say, is this working for you? Is it providing you an answer? Nine times out of ten, the an- it makes us promises that it can never keep. And I think that's, that's where correct. we can really come in with the gospel. Yeah. And it's telling us stories as well, isn't it? You know, culture all the time is, is giving us these versions of good news. So essentially it's saying sex, money, power, all these things that have been mm-hmm. around for millennia, they're offering us something but we have to be able to help them under, people understand that Jesus is the lasting answer. I think and one of the problems... We, that's where we speak into culture, right? Yeah, we speak into the culture, but we don't become the culture. And we don't Absolutely. become like the culture. Christ called us to be like him, not like the he, he culture. Called, he called us to be uh, the yeast, right? Right. That, that affects the whole dough. He called us to be the light into the darkness. So absolutely, we as Christians can't uh, mimic the darkness and think that would bring some sense of hope. We have to light our candles in the darkness and bring the hope of Christ into it. Um, and all these illustrations, they're about God going into difficult places and bringing light. You know, the yeast that affects the whole dough, that's about being in it, but not being affected by right. actually bringing the influence and change. There was a great, a great voice coming out of uh, the mother country there uh, back in the 1700s. His name was Edmund Burke, and he said, I can't do everything, but I can do something. Yeah. What I can do, I should do, and by the grace of God, 
I will do. Now, the thing about that is we can do what God wants us to do, but we can't make other people do what we want them to do. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So just because we go out there with a great vision for uh, discipleship or evangelism or whatever doesn't mean that even 50% of the people are going to follow. It doesn't. And in fact, if we think about Jesus, that didn't happen with him either, did it? Well, it didn't, because by the time he was crucified, he didn't have a single person following him, not even his own disciples. Yeah. Well, there was. There was Peter. He was following afar off. So what you <laughs> mentioned in that quote there, what I love, is this idea of we can do something. And I think the heart of discipleship is loving the person in front of you. It's not being afraid to actually stop for the one, because people think about discipleship, and we we think it's this massive, complex thing. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's about loving the person in front of you, meeting them where they're at, not where you'd want them to be, and helping them take another step towards Jesus. Because discipleship is basically walking alongside others on their journey to Christ. All right. Now, what I'm hearing you say then, Dave, is discipleship is not a program. It's not something we do to people. It's something we do with people. Absolutely. That is the alongside vision that we're talking exactly. about. And it's, it's so it's like mentorship is, then. It's more like mentorship. It, it's, a, it's a side-by-side journey exactly. with people. Uh, and it's meeting them where they're at, which is what Jesus did. Jesus didn't put his disciples through a program. He walked with them. Uh, and, and it was interesting, isn't it, when you think about that as well, Think about well, what point did his disciples become Christians? It's a great theological question to debate, isn't it? Because they were walking with him for three years, and still half of them didn't have a clue who he was. Yeah, he, he had to ask them, who do men say that I am? Yeah, and they still got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? Us, right? This is not about... Uh, I, I think so many people think of discipleship as teaching some sort of theological, uh, abstract ideas. Uh, for instance, in many churches, uh, discipleship really amounts to uh, teaching people about their doctrinal stand or their particular church or their particular uh, denomination. That's information, but it's not discipleship, I don't believe. It's absolutely. So somebody said recently that the the functional goal of the western church um, particularly in north america and and uk has become going to all the world and make church attenders um baptize them in the name of small groups and teach them to volunteer a few hours a week <laughs> so in other words what we're discipling people into is not a walk with jesus but it's churchianity well if you think about it, i I don't know if you would use the phrase in, in your circles, but have you, have you heard the word unchurched? Would you yes, oh, sure, unchurched? sure. It's a very right. common so, word. I, I really don't like that word. I don't either. Why. Um, the reason why I, I hate the word unchurched is it's like saying that people outside the church, it's like saying, don't worry, you know, at the moment they're unchurched, but if they hang around us long enough, they'll become church like the rest of us. In other words, they'll become conformed not to the image of Christ, but to an artificial image of what we're doing. Right. So the the goal of discipleship is to walk with Jesus until we become like him. That, that's mm-hmm. simply what it is. Mm-hmm. So the goal, the destination of discipleship, you talk about the destiny 
Um, the destiny is to become like Jesus. The destiny is not to become uh, better at religious activities, better at doing church, you know, a better attendee at a church meeting. The goal is to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, and love of us in a lost and dying world. So the and, church and, is not know, a place we go, it's the people we are. It, it's who we are. And, you're, you know, one of your favorite scriptures, I know, is preparing the way. Uh-huh. Ultimately, what who we are as the people of God is when we get hold of this idea that we to follow Jesus until we become like him, mm-hmm. that we help other people take a step towards Jesus. All right, let's pick up on that after this break. Our friend Dave Bowden, new friend from uh, England, friends, parallel faith, walking alongside others on their journey to Christ. This is going to give you a vision for 2024. Guaranteed. $15 on our website, saveus.org. There is so much more about Chuck Chrismeyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, A letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. How we live determines what we believe. A believer is not somebody that uh, embraces certain religious facts. A believer is one who lives what they say they believe. That's the Hebrew translation of the word believe. We have been discipling people in a Western, a Greco-Western mindset that to disciple somebody means to teach them facts about God. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to follow Jesus. Follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's about doing the will of the Father. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, and not other, in other words, not everyone who claims to be a believer is a real believer. He said, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to inherit the kingdom. Only those who do the will of my father. In other words, only those who are truly following me in spirit and in truth. This is a hard message to get across uh, to this modern generation, Dave. It's a really challenging message, but again, you've nailed it by talking about this idea that teaching has to be more than just information. It has to be revelation that leads to transformation Mm -hmm. in our lives. Uh, And I think, you know, it's interesting. um, I don't know if you've ever done much skiing, but I'm a terrible skier. I've tried it a couple of times. Well, I don't ski at all, except involuntarily if I should slip on a uh, wet noodle or something. 
Okay, well, you, you, you still sound better than me. <laughs> um, the, the first time that I ever went for a skiing lesson, I play, paid so close attention to what I was being taught because uh-huh. I hung on every word the instructor said because I genuinely believed that my life depended upon it. Right. Uh, and, and I think that I was... Why? Because basically I knew I would have to put into practice what I was being taught immediately. And this is one of the biggest challenges for us in the church is that we receive all this information and receive teaching, but there's no expectation and accountability for us to put that into practice in Mm -hmm. our daily life. Well, I think one of the reasons for that is that people think they have to have all of this raft of information in order to be able to tell people about Christ. Yeah. But it's a show-and-tell situation. Like kids in the, in the kindergarten, they go through show-and-tell time. It's not just telling, it's showing. Show and tell. That's what Jesus did with his disciples, and then he said, now, you go out and do the same thing. Yeah, well, you imagine if, if we invented, you know, if we introduced two rules into church, Number one, learning has to be put into practice in our real lives. And number two, we've got to take responsibility to pass that learning on to other people. So, like, I know in the classroom, if we're teaching young people, if we say, you're going to have to teach this tomorrow to another group of young people, they listen completely differently. Because, <laughs> And this is the thing. Like, if we genuinely knew and believed that what we were being taught, we'd have to put into practice and show and tell it and teach it to others, I mean, that would be a complete game changer. That's the way they lived 2,000 years ago. Well, that's exactly right. The, the, The problem, though, is that people don't feel empowered to do what Jesus said we should do. They feel like they have to have a seminary degree, which will put many of them into a spiritual cemetery rather than a spiritual life. And so it paralyzes them, and they don't feel competent or able to go out and disciple others. How do you, yeah, what do you say to that? I think that the two big challenges for us, uh, one is that we've uh, professionalized discipleship. Ah, uh, there's a word, professionalize. Yeah, so we've said it's for the pastor, it's for the preacher on the stage, it's for the professional. So we delegate uh, the responsibility that Jesus delegated to us. Well, you might even argue we abdicate it. Um, Oh, okay. And then the other side of this is then that we pigeonhole it. So we say that discipleship is what happens on a Tuesday night between 7.30 and 9.30 p.m. Eastern time, you know, and and discipleship is led by Agatha, who's our church disciple uh, pastor. Uh, uh, And and uh, uh, uh. I always think about that. I think, well, what happens if you can't make it between 7.30 and 9.30 on a Tuesday night? And what happens if you're not Akifer? I mean, how do we fulfill the Great Commission? And the reality is, is that actually what Jesus was talking about when he said go into all the world was for everybody. Everybody gets to play. And we, what we've done is we've, we've said, well, it's not for me, it's for them. And that's, you know, it's, it's for the paid person and, and the person at the front does it all. But that is not ministry at all. Mm. You know, I, I relate to, to much of this. Uh, I have 11 grandchildren, wow. and four of them uh, were virtually raised uh, a great deal of time in our home because their mother 
was my uh, key person running our office and so on. And she gave us, and she and her husband gave us authority as grandparents to be, shall we say, surrogate parents. In other words, to work alongside their authority. And so I've always had this vision. It's just kind of inbred in me to uh, disciple, to mentor. And uh, so there were three young men, and I began at seven years of age to take them out into the yard and began to teach them minimal skills, things, how to not only do some work, but to do it faithfully and to begin to value a job well done. And so they learned a phrase, a job well done and with care exempts itself from fear. So they all, if I start to say that, they will all repeat it now, all of them. They know what it means, and they adopted for themselves a level of uh, a work ethic, we would call it. And it was because of patient discipleship or mentoring in that area. But while I'm doing that, I'm also sharing with them principles of the kingdom of God. For instance, Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed in the ground and it should uh, grow uh, day and night and gradually first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn of the ear. And so Jesus used these kinds of illustrations to disciple the people to help them understand how the kingdom of God works. And so I would do that with my grandchildren. And over time now, those boys are now 24 to 30, and they have embraced those principles for themselves. And I just think there's so much reward in our lives if we had that kind of vision, if men had that kind of vision to do that with their sons and their daughters. That's the beginning of discipleship, isn't it? Absolutely. So what you're doing there is you're, you're modeling it, aren't you? You're show and tell, and you're mm-hmm. giving them something which they'll pass on. Exactly, but exactly. At the, at the start of that, you basically said that you took it upon yourself. You felt you had the authority to do it. And there's actually a really key point in that is that so many Christians believe they haven't got the authority to do the things that Jesus told us to do. But and yet right Jesus there, said to his disciples, I give you authority. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, Paul describes us as Christ's ambassadors, doesn't he? Mm. So we're ones who are sent on behalf of God to the world around us. And um, I think there's a real, not just a kind of practice uh, problem we have, there's a bit, there's a identity issue that we carry is that we don't see ourselves as Christ ambassadors. Mm. So there's, a, there's a, a, a really popular book about habits, and it says that if you want to change your behavior, you don't set a do goal, you set a who goal. So you have to think about the kind of person that you want to be mm. and begin to act in accordance with that person. So, it, you know, if you in other words, get, you have yeah. to have the right vision. Correct. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you want to, you know, it, they'll say if you want to be a, a gym goer, uh, you need to see yourself as the type of person that goes to the gym. So you set a who goal, and then that affects your behavior. Well, if we then bring that into this idea of being sent, if you think about Jesus, Jesus says, I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. So he, his sentness was a massive part of his identity, and yet he calls us to have that same issue and that same heart today. 
So if I see myself as uh, an ambassador, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be and act on behalf of uh, a different king, right? I'm well, do you know what? Place. The problem with that is that an awful lot of Christians who are supposed to be ambassadors would be recalled by Jesus because they're not representing him accurately. Absolutely. They would and be recalled to because they're just not doing the kingdom's, uh, the king's will. And that, that comes back from they don't actually know the king. And, and actually, if you think about, like, if we really understand this, we want to extend the will of the king, which is the kingdom of God, into a different place. So we, we carry with us the resources, we carry with us the values, the identity of the place that we come from. And this is a massive thing for us as Christians, that if we start to see ourselves as ambassadors. You know, so for example, like, if there's a burning building in front of me, and if I see myself as a fireman, or, uh, you know, I'm going to have the identity of that and the authority of it. I'm going to run towards the building, not away from it. Mm. And in the same way, if we see ourselves as ambassadors of Jesus, ambassadors of Christ, like Paul said, we're going to run towards the world and not away from it. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, well, so so much here. We used to sing a song when I was uh, a teenager, my desire is to be like Jesus, my desire to be like him. His spirit fill me, his love overwhelm me, indeed and truth to be like him. I wonder what that really means if people sing that today. My desire to be like Jesus. Is it all just a touchy-feely thing that we speak with a limp wrist and uh, and a a, a lisp in our tongue uh, to, to appear to be loving? Or do we really love like Jesus? Do we really tell the truth? Do we really live the truth? You see, Jesus said, if you will continue in my word, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Hmm. Friends, the book, wonderful book, Parallel Faith, Walking Alongside Others on Their Journey to Christ. Uh, $15, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website. Even as you read it, I'm sure you'll pick up the English brogue in the writing itself. You probably will, having heard Dick. Get the book. It will encourage your heart and set a vision for 2024. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home, in fact, of the world's heart and home, of the British heart and home, of America's heart and home, of the Russian heart and home, wherever this program is heard 
and I'm told that it has been heard at least in 180 countries. And so uh, if that is true, I'm thankful. I don't brag about it uh, because I can't confirm it, and I wouldn't stake my life on it. I've just been told that. So in any event, we are confronting the deepest issues, and from God's perspective, that is, not from the Republican Party's perspective, not from uh, uh, the British po- uh, political or parliament's perspective, not from the World Economic Forum's perspective, but from God's perspective. And Jesus said just before he left, we call it the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world. That doesn't mean necessarily Africa. It doesn't mean Iran. It means all the world where God has planted us. Go into all the world in the sphere in which you are and preach the gospel, teaching people to obey everything I've commanded. That's what making disciples means. It doesn't mean to evangelize. You can give birth to a baby and the baby can be stillborn. You can give birth to a baby and lay it on the doorstep like so many have and let it die or hope somebody else will pick it up. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about making disciples, teaching people to obey everything that God has commanded. You can call it legalism if you want, but then you're going to call Jesus a legalist. We have to make a decision. We either agree with what Jesus said or not. What did the disciples do? They went out to teach people to obey what God had said. That's what the Apostle Paul's epistles are all about. Because the people in those churches were not following God the way they should. They weren't following Jesus the way they should. But we're afraid of that today. God wants us to be honest. Our guest today, he says, maybe it's time for an honest assessment. Are we all about making music, social connections, and programs? Or are we about making disciples? Making disciples is tough business. And the reason it's tough business, one of the reasons is, friends, you can't promote it to raise money. Have you thought about that, Dave? It's tough business, and so often it's much easier, isn't it, for us to do something that's big and Exactly. You can't notch your belt saying, well, I made a disciple, because discipleship is an ongoing thing. You never fully arrive. Absolutely. So, so many people, you know, they, they want things that look brilliant in their church newsletters, right? But actually, if we're really going to be serious about this discipleship thing, we've got to be willing to start where people are. We've got to be willing to start in the ordinary every day of our lives. And it, it isn't as exciting, but it is the greatest adventure, if that makes sense. Well, it is. And I'm thinking, you know, I receive books and books and books. I've had over 3,500 national guests on this program, Dave. And oftentimes, you'll find in the promotional materials, uh, this fellow's a pastor of a church of 10,000. Then 
Four years later, he says it's 15,000, and then 20,000. Well, what's this all about? Are those disciples? Are those people he just made members of the church so he could promote the ministry? That's not discipleship making. You know, at the end of the day, Jesus never said he wants more believers, right? And um, the world is so caught with this idea, well, if you just sign on the dotted line, uh, just say you're a Christian and that's enough. Or, you know, if you attend a church meeting on a Sunday. Or raise your hand at a Billy Graham rally or whatever. Absolutely. You know, and this is is actually what was happening. You know, in the late 1970s, Dr. James Engel, he looked at this, didn't he? And he realized that there was so much uh, happening in terms of people going to crusades, putting their hand up, thousands giving their lives to Christ. And then two months later, where were they in the churches? They were nowhere mm-hmm. to be seen. And they, he actually wrote a book, James Engel wrote a book called What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest, which I think is a really powerful title, isn't it? Sounds like it. Yeah, what's gone wrong with the harvest? Everybody yeah. wants and to talk he, about the harvest drawing in a vast number of people, but half the fish of the harvest are dead. Yeah. And what they, they came up with this conclusion that actually discipleship is much more of a, a journey uh, and a mm-hmm. process and a transaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's something for all of us to think about in terms of the people that we meet every day. Everybody yeah. is on a journey towards Christ, aren't they? Either well spoken, well it. spoken, including you and me, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, we're and, all on that journey, uh, the walk with Jesus, and we walk with him and we talk with him, and yet he encourages us and he tells us we're his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known because you and Jesus, I and Jesus, we're having this walk together, but we better be walking with him and not against him. And I think that the whole point of what it means for us as Christians is to help people just point them to Jesus and take another step right from where they are. Yeah. I mean, that might mean that they move from being not interested at all in faith to becoming curious about Jesus. Well, that's a result. You know, that's success. And this is another reason why people, you can't necessarily put it in your church newsletter, because it might be a small thing that happens. But actually, if you think if every Christian was just involved in being obedient to what Jesus told them to do, Mm. and actually helping people take steps towards Jesus, the world would be transformed. Yeah, exactly. So the word parallel, you gave an interesting description, Uh, comes from a couple of Greek words, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it literally means um, alongside. It's this idea of, like, walking alongside people. And I, the reason I like it is because it's not top-down. Because if you think about what's the opposite of parallel, well, it's it's complete division. Uh-huh. This idea of being polar opposites, which I know you touch a lot on this show, don't you, about the, the polarized nature of politics, sure. society, and culture right now. Mm-hmm. Well, walking side-by-side is you have to be in relationship with somebody. It's not top-down, which is like, I'm better than you, I know it all. It's side-by-side, pointing people to Christ. Well, that's kind of a me- like a marriage, isn't it? It is. Side-by-side, yeah. Side, yeah. And uh, yeah. this is so critically important. So tell us, uh, you're, you're living in a country, our mother country, that gave birth to John Wesley and uh, uh, Charles Wesley, who gave us so many hymns and the founder of the Salvation Army, and all of these uh, great people of the faith. Whatever happened to England? I think 
England is probably a little bit ahead of where uh, other countries are, like even America, in terms of this decline of right. I agree. Walking away from this idea that right at the core of Christianity is about walking with Jesus and not just being religious, and unfortunately, we've we're, we're reaping the effects right now of that. We're reaping the effects of let's just become like the world around us. Let's just become relevant to the point of actually losing the core power of the message. But like we all know, don't we, that Paul said, didn't he, say, he's not ashamed of the power of the gospel, for it is the salvation for those that believe. And the power lies not in re- our relevance. The power lies not in being a trendy preacher. The, the, the power lies not in having amazing music or great programs. The power lies in the gospel. And I think there's something about this country and, and America as well, I'm sure you'd agree, I can't sure. speak on behalf of your nation, but I'm sure you'd agree that we've got to get back to that thing that Jesus is the hope of the world, not us. No question about it. You know, uh, some of this kind of leaves me a bit speechless. It's hard for somebody who was a trial lawyer uh, and also a pastor to be speechless. But uh, this is leaving me somewhat speechless because I know how desperate the situation is. And there's a passion in my own mind and heart. I've always been passionate about discipling people. Uh, there were uh, five years when I was going to law school that I actually uh, was a coach. Uh, before that, I taught mathematics. I, t- I taught for nine years in public schools in California. But for five years, I was a coach. And a lot of people would say, you know, that's what you do on the air. You're really coaching people. And uh, there's a lot of, th- there's that same passion, that same spirit. Uh, and a coach doesn't just tell people what they want to hear. He has to urge them along. He has to uh, set the vision. In fact, I tell you uh, what, what one of the secrets during my five years of coaching was that I never required of my students to do something that I wasn't willing to do with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the ways that I describe discipleship, and I think you're doing this actually, is that it's, it's content. It, it's, Spirit-led content um, it, it, in the context of connection and community. So what you're doing is you're connecting with your audience. You're giving them great content, but really you're building a community, right? You're building a community of like-minded people who want to go on this journey. And I think that really what it's all about is to show and tell. You said it earlier so well. Yeah. Is that as Christians, we've got to get back to the idea of not just believing what Jesus tells us but showing it and demonstrating it in our own lives and let other people watch our life. Let yeah. people watch it because that's what the Bible says, you know, in 1 Peter, it says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And right. I love that is because the, the implication is that you're going to be ready at all times and that people are going to so see hope in your lives, they're going to ask you questions. Well, Isn't right. that the best form of evangelism? That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people would say, well, yeah, that's apologetics, and I believe in apologetics. Well, apologetics by itself is not discipleship. It's just not. Uh, it's may maybe made more of argument than it is of persuasion. <laughs> I mean, that's just the content side, isn't it? And that's exactly, just the, the content side, and it's not sufficient. Now, We've got to have connection, got our community. Exactly. So I'd like to kind of wrap up with uh, something you had in your chapter called Beholding. And wow. uh, it, you give a number of points about Jesus. 
Jesus is real. Jesus is relevant in and of himself. Jesus is God's reflection. So we have to be his reflection. Jesus is our rescuer. Jesus is a revolutionary. Jesus offers relationship. And he refocuses our lives. A great summary there. Parallel faith, walking alongside others on their journey to Christ. Lead us in a brief word of prayer, will you, Dave? I'd love to. Um, Such a privilege to be with everybody today. And, And God, we just, first of all, we pray, but we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus did come and, and you brought hope into our lives and you've saved us, you've rescued us. And God, today, we just pray that you would help us to be good representatives, good ambassadors for you. We pray that you will lead us to other people as we follow you, that you will show us people in our lives that we can just help them take another step towards you. And I pray that the words that are spoken on this program today and every other day will make a huge difference for the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, parallel faith, walking alongside others on their journey to Christ, friend. $15 will put the book, very encouraging book, and we barely, barely scratched the surface of it. We just barely scratched the surface of it here today. So go to the website, saveus.org, get a copy of it, uh, write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Uh if you're writing a check, add $5 for postage and handling. These are challenging times, friends. If you believe Jesus is coming soon, maybe, just maybe, we need to recapture that early church vision. That's what we're talking about here today. Yeah, we want to be like Jesus. My desire to be like Jesus. My desire to be like him. His spirit fill me, his love or will me, indeed in truth, to be like him. That's what we want to communicate to others. It's not about churchianity. It's about living the life of Christ. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Pray for our mother country also. Great Britain, the UK, England. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.